I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes. I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, hello. How are you doing? This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm your host, Liv, who's quickly nearing the end of Homer's Odyssey and honestly feeling a bit lost at the idea of not having Odysseus to turn to, but also it's just like way easier to write these episodes when I have Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey to work with, you know? Anyway, I'm here again in my new apartment, hoping the sounds of the street aren't too loud in the recording, but again, it's August and I don't have AC, so I'm sorry these windows must stay open for the time being. Also, because I had to makeshift some screens so my cat doesn't fall to his death, and frankly, I can't close the windows even if I wanted to. Such is life. Where we last left my favorite fellow, Odysseus, the campaign against those fucking suitors had commenced. It's only his son, Telemachus, who knows that Odysseus is home and ready to get all the vengeance in the world. Only Telemachus, who knows this old, ragged-looking beggar, is actually his father in disguise. 
Penelope's unaware. She's simply furious at the suitors for being there, for fucking with shit, and most importantly, for trying to kill her son. She didn't love that. And so Odysseus has entered the palace, and he's going from suitor to suitor, learning a little bit about them while begging for scraps. This is episode 57, Checking the Suitor's Privilege, The Odyssey, Part 10. On Athena's instruction, Odysseus is in the palace, traveling from suitor to suitor, begging for whatever food they may spare. This, she's told him, is a means of determining which suitors are bad and which are good, though regardless of the results of this test, the fate of the suitors is all the same. As he travels between them, they wonder who he is, asking each other. Melanthius, a goat herd who overhears, tells them all he knows. He's seen this beggar before with the swine herd Eumaeus, but that's all the information he has. At this, though, Antinous, one of the suitors, speaks up. He calls out to Eumaeus, calling him a pig man, so that's nice, and a famous idiot. Seriously, the suitors are chill people, Definitely not enormous assholes or anything. You, pig man, he says, famous idiot. Why did you bring this strange, dirty man in here? Don't we have enough beggars around to ruin our feasts? Eumaeus claps back, Antinous, calling him trash and the meanest of the suitors. He's like Chrissy Teigen on Twitter, except a swine herd in ancient Greek mythology. Telemachus steps in, too, defending Eumaeus and pointing out that Antinous isn't worth his time. No, he says, I'm not going to kick this stranger out. Instead, you're going to give him food yourself. Go on now. Don't worry about anything else going on here. It's not your business anyway. Antinous is pissed. He's a privileged asshole, and he pushes back on Telemachus until Odysseus, still disguised as this ragged beggar, goes up to him directly. You must be the best of the Greeks, he tells Antinous. You look like royalty. If you give me some food, I'll spread the word throughout Greece of how impressive you are. Beggars can come from anywhere, he tells Antinous and the other suitors. I used to be a rich man. I had a palace and slaves and all the happiness in the world until Zeus ruined it. This is where the truth of Odysseus's speech ends. He continues with the story of traveling to Egypt with pirates who were too greedy and violent when they landed and so were overtaken by the angry townspeople. He tells the group his story of tragedy, how he ended up here as a beggar, though he had once had all the wealth he could ask for. But Antinous learns nothing from Odysseus's speech, ignoring him entirely and instead asking the room, "'Would God cause this pest to ruin our night?' Get away from me, he tells Odysseus. Go off and be killed in Egypt. You're not worth our time. Again, Antinous is super nice, and these suitors definitely don't deserve what's coming to them. Antinous's reaction to Odysseus's story is the final straw. He insults Antinous once more, which causes Antinous to lose his cool. He picks up the stool he's been sitting on and throws it at Odysseus. It hits him, but Odysseus isn't moved. He remains standing strong, simply staring at Antinous before shaking his head dramatically. Finally, he addresses the room of suitors. Look, guys, he says, though as usual, not quite in that phrasing. 
When you're defending your own land or your possessions, there's no shame in a little violence. But this man just attacked me for simply asking for a little food. I came here hungry, and this is what I get? If there are furies out there to avenge the treatment of the poor, I hope they have Antinous struck with death instead of a wedding that he wants. But Antinous is stubborn and has a dark, dark soul, and he responds by threatening Odysseus that if he keeps talking, Antinous and the rest of the suitors will straight up flay him alive, House Bolton style. This is where the other suitors draw the line. Ah, Antinous, we won't be doing that, they say pretty quickly after this maniacal threat. You shouldn't have hit this guy, and don't you realize the gods often disguise themselves as strangers to test the people of a city? Meanwhile, Penelope's been listening to all this shit go down. She tells the women with her that she wishes Apollo would shoot him dead right there. Your enemy, one of the older women, states quite foreshadowingly, if that's a word, that if their prayers were answered, none of the suitors would live to see the next dawn. Somehow, even with all the drama, everyone manages to have a nice dinner. Meals are important, you know, even when half the men are threatening to flay the other half. Everybody's got to eat. Penelope and the women continue discussing the men they're able to overhear, commenting on how all of the suitors are bad, but man, that Antinous, he is just the absolute fucking worst. Everyone seems to agree on that. When they finish their dinner, Penelope calls for Eumaeus, the swineherd, the man who, for a slave, is oddly close to the royal family. Is it an accurate description of how things were then, or more of a narrative device? I'm willing to bet it's the latter. Regardless, Penelope calls for old Eumaeus, and she asks him if he would bring the stranger in to see her. The stranger. Eumaeus, she says, Bring that stranger in to see me, would you? Ask him if he's heard or witnessed anything that may give us any clues about my long-lost husband, Odysseus. Beautiful. What storytelling? Before he goes to get Odysseus, disguised as the old, ragged beggar, Eumaeus tells Penelope what he knows. He tells her that this man, this stranger from another land has been staying with him for some days and already told him about his wanderings and about how he and Odysseus were old friends, having encountered each other before. No one seems to find it odd that this stranger hasn't given them a name to call him, but whatever, don't ask such questions. This is a beautiful story, Liv. Damn it. The stranger, Eumaeus tells Penelope, tells that Odysseus is still alive and well and that he's nearby en route to return to Ithaca after all this time. Send him to see me, Penelope tells him. Let him tell me this himself. I want to hear from him that Odysseus is traveling home after all this time. And when he does arrive, only he will be able to rid us of all these suitors that have been eating all our food and terrorizing everyone for all this time. Suddenly, Telemachus sneezes loudly down in the halls below. At this, Penelope laughs, explaining to Eumaeus that it's a sign. Telemachus sneezed at what I just said, she tells him. That means the suitors will indeed face their deaths. Sneezing as an omen. Gotta say that's a new one. No one can save them now, Penelope continues. 
Go, get this stranger. Bring him to me to tell me what he knows. So Eumaeus goes to get Odysseus, telling him that Penelope, Telemachus's mother and the queen of this palace, as if Odysseus doesn't know, wishes to see him. She wants to know about her husband, Eumaeus tells the stranger. Tell her the truth. She'll know if you're lying. And if you do tell the truth, she'll give you some nice clothes to wear, which you sorely need. Odysseus, though, must keep to his plan. Eumaeus, he says, I very much want to tell Penelope the truth about her beloved husband, Odysseus, but it must wait just a little longer. For now, I'm worried about these suitors and how rowdy they're getting. He tells Eumaeus about the violence of Antinous and that nobody tried to stop him. No, he says, for now, tell Penelope to stay safely where she is until night falls. Then she can come sit with me by the fire and ask me all she wants to know about her husband and his endless journey home. So Eumaeus does, delaying the beautiful reunion we all want to see just a little while longer. He tells Penelope that the stranger wants to avoid the suitors as they're getting more dangerous as the afternoon goes on. He tells her about sitting by the fire at dusk, that she can ask him anything she wants then. Penelope agrees, noting that this stranger is clearly no fool. It's a good idea that they avoid the suitors as much as they can. And so Eumaeus leaves her, returning to the hall where the suitors, Odysseus in disguise, and Telemachus all are staying. He tells Telemachus that he must return to watch over his pigs. He wishes him good luck. He tells him not to get into any trouble, not to get himself hurt. The feast inside the main hall of the palace continues, as does the drama. The suitors now have sent for another man, an alternate beggar, you could say, even though that's dark as fuck. And I really hate using the word beggar, but it's used continuously in this, and it's just the easiest, sorry. This alternate beggar is a local homeless man of Ithaca, notorious for his greed. He has a real name, but the suitors call him Iris, because they use him as their messenger. Now they've called on Iris to get rid of Odysseus. Their depravity knows no bounds. They've called on this other homeless man to get rid of the homeless man they're tired of, pitting poor soul against poor soul. Don't think you can feel sorry for these suitors and what's to come. They deserve it all. They've called on Iris and he shows up, immediately berating Odysseus. Get out, he tells him. Don't make me throw you out. But, of course, Odysseus won't be leaving anytime soon. Not least because it's his fucking house, even if no one but Telemachus knows. No, he tells Iris, I'm not going to leave. I didn't do anything to you, and I won't be going just because you've told me to. We can both be here, both beg for the scraps of these men. And, he adds, for good measure, I'll fight you if I have to. Yeah, the suitors are going to try to force these two homeless men to fight each other. (sighs) Antinous points out the best food they've got roasting by the fire. There, he says. They'll fight for that goat stomach stuffed with fat. Yum. So the suitors egg them on. They really and truly want to see these two homeless men fight each other over food. Ugh. But Odysseus is a thinker. That's kind of his thing. So he says to the suitors, 
Look, there's no way an old, beaten-down man like me has any chance at beating this younger man in a fight. But I need to try. I'm too hungry to pass up the opportunity. Just, he says, promise that none of you suitors will try to jump in to help Iris defeat me? The suitors agree. They won't step in to help Iris beat Odysseus. Then, Telemachus speaks. Stranger, he says, if you must fight against Iris, then at least you don't need to worry about these other men. I'm your host, and Eurymachus and Antinous agree with me. They all, very formally, agree to these terms. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The terms have been agreed to. No one will step in to help Iris defeat Odysseus. He doesn't get to have the suitors on his side, even though it was them who brought him into the palace in the first place. 
And so Odysseus prepares to fight this man, Iris. He takes off the ragged clothes he's been wearing and wraps them around his waist, basically revealing a super ripped old man, just muscly as fuck, enormous. And then Athena makes him even stronger, visibly, causing all the suitors to look on in shock. Iris doesn't stand a chance, they exclaim, still staring dumbfounded at how fucking yoked Odysseus is, though he's still visibly a worn down old man. Iris, meanwhile, is also looking at Odysseus and he is not thrilled by this development. This is not what he signed on for, but he's in it now and there's no turning back. Antinous watches Iris' reaction and once more provides all the motive in the world for everyone around him to want him dead. He straight up laughs at Iris's fear, telling him what a loser he'll be if he's beaten by this old man. And if he is, Antinous continues, he'll have him sent off to a king on the mainland who's the lord of cruelty and pain. You know, normal stuff. That king will cut off Iris's ears and nose and then his genitals and he'll feed them to the dogs all great people here in odysseus's palace no sociopaths at all and so they fight odysseus quickly defeats iris breaking his jaw in the process and kicks him out of the palace when he returns to the hall victorious in this very unfair and bizarre fight he's finally welcomed by the suitors Antinous gives him that disgusting-sounding food that he wanted so badly, and the men toast to his defeat of Iris, laughing about how they'll send him to that guy on the mainland who also just sounds lovely. Odysseus, finally having gained the respect of the suitors, speaks with one of them, Amphinomus, about the man's father, whose wealth and excellence Odysseus says he's heard of. I once had wealth and happiness, he tells Amphinomus, but I have committed so many crimes now, so many abuses of power, helped by the other men around me doing the same. I've learned, he continues, that no one should turn away from what's right. I've seen how you're all behaving here, how you're treating Penelope, the wife of the man whose palace this is, the man who will very soon return home, and may you not still be here when he does, because, Odysseus tells Amphinomus, I assure you there will be blood. Amphinomus thinks about what Odysseus has just told him. He dwells on it, but he doesn't leave. He's destined to meet the same fate as the rest. Athena has already decided these things. Athena, too, has plans for Penelope. She gives her an idea, placing in her mind the desire to let the suitors see her, though normally she would avoid them at all costs. But no, now she wishes them to see her. For Athena, this is to awaken the desire in the suitors. Penelope tells Eurynome, her faithful woman, that she wishes to do this. She wants to let the suitors see her and to give her son some advice. Penelope wishes to tell Telemachus not to spend too much time with these men. They're too proud. They have bad intentions. They're a bad influence. She has your enemy call two slave girls, Hippodamia and Autonomy, to accompany Penelope down to see the suitors and to talk to her son. 
While your enemy is gathering the girls, Athena gets to work on Penelope. She puts her to sleep for a short while while she makes her as beautiful and wonderful as possible. She puts ambrosial beauty on Penelope, makes her taller, curvier, clears her skin. When she wakes, just as the girls are arriving to accompany her, Penelope looks better and more beautiful than she has since her husband, Odysseus, disappeared those decades ago. Penelope, at her absolutely most beautiful and angelic, descends into the hall to speak with her son. The suitors are all transfixed, staring at her, their desire to marry and therefore have sex with her, renewed and stronger than ever. She speaks with her son, asking him what he was thinking, allowing the suitors to insult the stranger, their guest, in the way that they did. You're not a child anymore, she tells him. You should have better judgment in the ways of treating other people. Telemachus agrees with his mother, conceding he handled it poorly, that the men are out to get this stranger, that they even brought in Iris to fight him, but that it didn't go the way they'd hoped. He tells her that he's alone in this, trying to fend off the suitors and keep them from ruining the reputation of the palace amongst everything else. But he finishes his explanation to his mother by calling out his hopes for the suitors. May they be beaten down both inside and outside of the palace. May each of them grow weak and unable to fight back. He's cut off by Eurymachus, who's trying to get Penelope's attention. Penelope, he calls out. Oh, Penelope, if everyone in Greece could see you now, oh, there would be even more suitors in your home because no one is as beautiful as you. He says this like it's a compliment, but like, fuck you, dude. She's made it perfectly clear she loathes the number of suitors that she has now. Don't threaten more. I mean, honestly, read the room. Anyway, that's my response, but Penelope has one too. No, she tells Eurymachus, the gods ruined my beauty the day my husband left for Troy, never to return. If he came home, then maybe I could regain some of it that I had before, but not now. I'm weighed down by grief and stress. Before Odysseus, my husband, left for Troy, she tells the suitors, he grabbed my arm and told me he didn't think that all the Greeks would return unharmed from Troy. The Trojans are good warriors too, and many will die, he said. But some god may bring me home, or some god may keep me there. If I don't return, then when our son has grown, you must choose a man to remarry. That's what he told me when he left for Troy those years ago, she tells the suitors in the hall. And that time has come. She tells them this with no joy. She does not want to be making this decision. And, she adds, there's even more weighing me down, because it isn't right to treat a woman this way, competing for her, taking over her home, and never letting anyone have a moment's peace. Suitors should bring me food and gifts, not eat what's already mine. She tears into them, calling them out for what they've been. The absolute fucking worst. Meanwhile, Odysseus watches, impressed by his wife's speech and actions, trying to get more from them while still not caring for a single one. To this, Antinous responds that they'll give her anything she wants, but still none of them will return to their homes until she chooses to marry one. But it doesn't matter anyway. Like I've said, 
Athena's already decided all of their fates. So they have gifts brought to Penelope, endless, endless gifts, the finest jewelry, mostly, gold and jewels of all colors and shapes. Smiling, Penelope and her slave girls bring the gifts back up to her bedroom and once more leave the suitors alone to continue their feasting and drinking. But some of the girls remain. They're there to light the great hall now that darkness has fallen. At this, Odysseus, very much still in disguise, calls out to the girls as they work around the room. Go back and stay with Penelope, he tells them. I can do this. I can light the room. There's no need for you to stay. He thinks he's doing them a favor, doing their job for them. But, well, these particular girls have already formed other reasons for remaining in the hall after Penelope leaves. Melantho, one of the girls, was raised by Penelope, almost as a daughter, but she simply laughs at this comment. She's been sleeping with Eurymachus, and so instead of returning to Penelope, she taunts Odysseus, just as the suitors have. Why are you choosing to stay around this group of men? She asks, jeering. You've already eaten. Why are you even still here? Odysseus and Eurymachus taunt each other some more, each trying to sound more impressive than the other. At this, Odysseus threatens to tell Telemachus what he's just heard, and that serves to scare the women off. They've been corrupted by the men staying in the palace all this time. At some point, some of them realize that their lives were kind of shit anyway. They're slaves, after all, so they might as well fuck some powerful suitors in the process. Odysseus and Eurymachus then taunt each other some more, each trying to sound more impressive than the other. There's much talk of farm-related strength and war-related strength. You know men like this. There's a lot of nonsense thrown back and forth, each trying to feel more manly and masculine than the other. But in the end, after more furniture being fruitlessly thrown at Odysseus, Telemachus proposes that the men go back to their beds for the night, that perhaps the evening has reached its logical conclusion. And so, finally, for now, the suitors leave the palace. When they're alone, Odysseus and Telemachus continue their planning for how to kill the suitors. They have a better sense of how things will go, now that they've had to deal with them together. Telemachus summons his nurse, Eurycleia, the servant who's been with the family for basically ever, and asks her to shut away Penelope's women while he brings the weapons to the storerooms. The plan's in action. They've decided to tell the suitors that their weapons have been removed to be cleaned, that being so near to the fire has left them dirty and dull. Once Eurycleia is left to do this, Telemachus comments to his father that there's something different about the palace, something brighter, as if fires are lit in places they shouldn't be. With a smile, Odysseus tells him that he mustn't ask these questions, just know that the gods will do what they need to do. It's time for you to go to bed, Odysseus tells his son, I'll stay here and let your mother finally question me. So, with Telemachus gone, Odysseus makes himself comfortable in front of the fire. Still, he's not Odysseus. He appears as the ragged, homeless stranger who's been causing so much trouble. And he sits, and he waits for Penelope to join him. After all this time. 
Oh, friends, thanks for listening as we get closer and closer to the end of the Homeric epics. Don't fear, though. We're not out of epics yet. Anyway, I love the Odyssey as if it has been made abundantly clear with how I've told this story and everything else I say. Bias exists everywhere, guys, and I am biased towards Odysseus. I am sorry. Like, I know he's got his shit, and he's not immune from toxic masculinity, but he's also wonderful and heroic and just wants to get home to his wife. Anyway, it's great. Odysseus is great. The Odyssey's great. Homer's great. What's not great is the rampant and dangerous toxic masculinity that's blending with horrific racism and absolutely terrifying the world right now. So when you hear someone talking about so-called Western civilization or how white people, with air quotes, invented everything, that the Greeks were the fathers of civilizations, that the Spartans were the shit. Anyway, just remember all the bullshit I tell you about every week and know that the Greeks co-opted what they learned from the Middle East and Africa. Not everything, but a lot of it. Notably, Egypt, Mesopotamia, that white people didn't invent everything we use now and what we most care about. They just colonized the fuck out of everyone that did, stole their ideas, used them as their own, presented to the world that they were the most impressive, most important civilization when, really, Western civilization was just the most violent, most destructive, and most open to plagiarizing. Okay, thanks. The world is on fire. Please enjoy my retellings of Greek myths from the vantage point that while they were amazing and wonderful and goddamn the ancient Greeks were cool, they were not the be-all and end-all of the ancient world, and most of the things they're credited with doing first, they didn't. The Epic of Gilgamesh came long, long before Homer. The Mesopotamians in Iraq and Iran invented basically everything, the wheel, astronomy, endless more. The Greeks just did it again, but louder. One day I'll go into more detail about that, because I just think it's necessary. Anyway, thank you again for listening. If you like me, please rate, review, subscribe, you know. Follow me places. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they're all at Miss Baby. I suck at Facebook, but I do feed my Instagram there, so there's usually something. I also read all your messages, but can't always respond. Thank you so much for everything you send to me, though. It means the world that I'm connecting with so many of you about this thing I love so, so passionately. If you want to hear more of my ramblings and rantings about toxic masculinity and the end of the world, you can go ahead and follow my personal account on Twitter, too. That's Livy Rants. It's a little bit less mythological and a little bit more angry. Anyway, you're all magnificent. I do love you. Thank you for being there and listening every week and being generally awesome. I'm Liv and I love this shit. I'm Elliot Connie and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 